Hey everyone, welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast interview series. Today we have our hosts, myself, Joseph Kim, and Mishka Katkoff. And our guest today is Angela Roseboro, who is Chief Diversity Officer and Talent Acquisition Lead at one of our favorite companies, Riot Games. So today we will be talking about sensitive but critical topics, which include company culture and diversity in gaming companies today. And just to be clear, we want to not just focus on the diversity and inclusion topic, which many folks in the media tend to focus on more specifically, but also culture more generally and the impact of culture on an organization. Hi, Angela. Hi, how are you? Doing really, really great and so happy to have you on. But I thought we could first start by talking about you. You have a really impressive background spanning large traditional companies and with experience in many industries, including finance, consulting, and prior to Riot at another favorite company of mine, Dropbox. Could you tell us about your career trajectory and how you got to Riot? I'm so happy that you like both Riot and Dropbox. That means that I've made great choices in my career. So I'm going to start by saying that. So, you know, I've been doing uh, diversity work. I started off as an HR professional back in 2000. And I had always thought that there was this interesting intersection between business and differences. So um, I worked at a company where we were a consumer goods company and we were trying to decide how do we build our marketplace. And we had not really focused on women who were being much more in the workplace. And so to be able to tie that was really, it took my love of people and my love of business and it kind of tied it together. But I also knew that there were issues and barriers for women and people of color when they come into traditional organizations. So, and I had two daughters and I really wanted to have a world where my daughters could be who they were authentically. And I actually thought that I would do this job for like five years. And we, you know, because when you talk about the concept of diversity, it's pretty simple and people get it, that my job was to work myself out of a job. And so 15, 16 years later, I still have the job of doing diversity work. And I, it makes me sad in some ways because I really wanted this, this to the concept of diversity and the practices to be already kind of ingrained as part of the company's DNA, but happy to be able to help companies kind of live up to their promise of, for their people. So I started off in HR. I've been doing this for 15 years. I was doing it in more traditional companies, manufacturing and finance. And, and they were large companies. So 70,000 people, 80,000, 100,000 people. And I had this call from a recruiter around Dropbox. And I said, you know, if I could go to a company with 2,000, because it's hard to turn a company culture around when you are that big and you're that institutional. But Dropbox was this new startup company, well, not new, but it was like 10 years old. And it was 2000. And if I could embed diversity in process and in people, and as they grow, it'd be part of their DNA, then I would retire and write a book about how you would do this and how would you not need, again, a, a diversity professional to help guide your company culture. And so I went to Dropbox. I loved it. My favorite part of Dropbox was not just the, the way that Drew had started Dropbox, and that was he was on a bus and he lost his flash drive and he built this company and that was just very fascinating. And so being able to study that. But also my favorite part was, you know, I, I, I was able to sing karaoke with Drew Houston, which was one of my favorite things to do. Um, and so we started this strategy. I started off by listening, as I always do. I go around and I just talk to people about what diversity is, what it isn't. 
how, what are the barriers? And so we do a lot of listening sessions, a lot of data gathering and came up with a strategy. Midway through that, I got a call from Riot and decided to take the call because a good friend of mine, Francis Fry, had joined Riot and, and started the cultural um, evolution and talked to her a lot. And it was a hard decision, I have to say, um, to, to leave Dropbox and come to Riot. And decided to come to Riot because two things. One, I read the internet post that said, I'm so- we're sorry. And that a company went straight to, I'm sorry, that we didn't listen, we didn't hear, was impressive to me. And I remember asking, did Francis, did comms do that or did the leaders do that? And the leaders did, did it. They, they listened a lot. And so, and then I got a chance to meet with rioters and saw the heart of riot and really wanted to, again, to make an impact and a difference. And the third reason was I you know, was a part of a leadership team. And in this role, you probably report into HR, but you're not on an executive leadership team. So as I was saying no to Riot, because I did say no in the beginning, I'm an African-American woman. I never aspired to be on an executive team. And so I, the, the purpose of me coming became bigger because I wanted other little Black girls to be able to see me and be able to role model that you can be there and you can aspire. So here I am, never aspired to do it never thought it was possible. And now I could be a role model for others to say, yes, we can get to that point. Because what I know about this, about diversity, people want to see people that they can aspire to be. And if you don't have that, then you think that that's not possible for you. So I wanted people to know that it was possible. Wow, that's a great story, Angela. Thanks so much for that. In, In terms of the question I wanted to open with, in a recent interview with VentureBeat, Mike Morheim, the founder of Blizzard, talked about how Blizzard's greatest creation was its culture. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to be really honest, the majority of the talk at companies seems to be very conceptual and does yes. not actually seem to be more actual or practical. Mm-hmm. So from your perspective, can you talk to us about how you define culture at Riot and what you believe the actual impact is on a company's performance? I think culture is your calling card. It is your personality of your company. And, you know, I think that culture will happen whether, you know, if you don't even talk about it, you will have a culture by how you behave in a company. I think where leaders have to, and CEOs and leaders, where they have to be very deliberate about describing their culture and being very honest about what that culture is. So even at Riot, there is, if you ask leaders what the culture was. It was very different than how rioters would describe the culture. So you had a disconnect from that. So part of it is how do you take what that aspiration or what the leadership defines the culture to be? How do you talk about it from people who actually are living that culture? And and this is where you have to be very honest, hold that mirror up and say, are we what we think we are? And that's a very honest and vulnerable place that leaders have to get to. Because to your point, Culture, we can talk about culture all day long. It is, I, I measure culture by how people experience your company. And if people are experiencing it, they're going to give you in, in a way that brings out their best and they are agreeing with the way the company is running. They will give you their best discretionary effort. If not, you, you know, I, I read this book that said it takes 10 years to change a company culture. It takes one to three for individuals to change. So even if someone says our culture is our greatest asset, we have to make sure that every rioter is in step with and aligned with that culture. So you have to interview for it. You have to, you know, make sure that you have process around it to make sure that you are all leveraging the shared norms. And then as a person, 
I can decide what type of culture is best fit for me, right? So I, I know companies who their company culture is they're going to work you really, really hard. They're going to pay you a lot of money and people can decide that's the place I want to be. But there are others who want people who are more, you know, I worked at GE, which had a very distinct culture. And then there are other cultures where people want to be creative and they want to be embraced. And so if I come into that culture and I'm very rigid, I won't fit into that culture. So I think we, we have an opportunity to really be deliberate and decide and define and then model that. So it's not one thing to say, this is our culture, but if the leaders aren't modeling that culture or modeling those behaviors, then um, it's just kind of a conceptual thing. So you have to put meat behind what you think your culture is and you have to reward and sometimes carrot and stick if you're not applying to that. Right. And so could, could we go a little bit deeper on that aspect in terms yeah. of implementing the company culture? I mean, yeah. in my own personal experience, it, it oftentimes the implementation of culture is like, you know, an HR slide presentation, which is yeah. kind of strange. Yeah. Or somebody sticks a poster on the wall with 10 bullet points yeah. and like, <laughs> that's our culture. <laughs> so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about this implementation piece, which, which I think at a lot of companies is probably not very strong. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things where I think for the case of Riot, we had to evolve the culture. And so, you know, when you, and you'll probably ask me more about this, like when you start a company, particularly, and I, I'm glad I was able to be in two tech companies now, Riot's more entertainment tech and sports, but you have people who are, are innovators. So they start off as very innovators and they want to be counter, at least my experience, they, they want to be this free-flowing you know, kind of, we want empower people. We want to just be free flowing. We want to just be anti-corporate, so to speak. And so they don't want to have convention around that. So they kind of just let everybody kind of be and do and be entrepreneurial. And then you grow. And then you have to then decide what the culture is. So when I talk about companies and how you actually execute and you deliver on a culture, it is really not just saying, here's who we are. It is, and, and words on the wall, it is, how do I measure for that? How do I reward for that? So in performance management systems, there's the what you deliver in terms of results, and it's the how. So if I have a person who is really good at making a lot of money, but their sense of how is not endemic to the culture, then the company has to have a real decision about, in spite of the fact that this person's delivering on this, if their how is so counter to your culture, then you have to make decisions. And I think that's where companies kind of fail a little bit, where they don't put as much emphasis on the how than the what, if that makes any sense. So if I am a salesperson, I'm bringing a million dollars, but yeah, I'm, I'm a crappy person. You now have to make a decision if that is, what, what, do you, what do you value most? And I would love for companies to value the how, to, to value both, because what happens is that people will see that. And so whatever you just say your, your culture is, if I see people who are being rewarded for not living up to those values, then I can't believe that that's the culture that you're subscribing to be. Part of my job that's the hardest is holding that mirror up to say, here's who you say you are, but here's what's happening. And leaders have to be open to that and vulnerable to that as well. And so we do that here now, right? right? I, I have a lot of time where I'm like, here's who we want to be, but here's who, how we are. What do we need to do now? And next. And so what I also find is that when you sit in kind of that C-suite, you experience the company very differently than probably the folks who are working there every day. And so leaders being able to experience what their employees are experiencing 
And being open to that is another disconnect I think companies make when they start talking about their culture. Because they might think, yeah, this is a great culture, but they're getting all the advantages of the culture. But if your employees are not experiencing the same culture that you are, then there's a disconnect. And you have to go in and figure out what that disconnect is and then decide what you need to change. And I think companies don't decide what they need to change. Right. And also, it seems like to get that consistency and to actually implement the culture, it sounds like it would really require a pretty heavy commitment from leadership and from employees. And could you talk about that? What level of commitment is required to kind of implement culture at companies? So, you know, I think for me, it starts with what your mission, your mission kind of is the first thing that describes your culture. And for us, we want to be the most player focused gaming company in the world. So that starts with And so if anyone's buying into that, our employees and our writers have to be there. And then once we set the mission, what are the values in which we're going to operate? Like, how are we going to hold ourselves accountable for how we operate, how we connect? And then it starts to cascade into what are the objectives of of the company. So I think all of those have to be lockstep to fulfill the mission. So I I hope I answered the question that you asked, but, but it has to be that leaders have to have constant conversations. So we use things like our employee surveys to really kind of match us up between what, and we talk about culture, do our leaders live up to our values? Are they committed to diversity? And this is where you have to act on what your employees are telling you. We spent a lot of time at Riot listening and trying to pivot. And I don't suspect that it's hard, because changing behaviors are, are hard. You do it because you either want to or you have to. Either way, I, like I got on the treadmill this morning. I didn't want to. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have to, but I want to lose 10 pounds. So um, there's a choice that I have to make. And so, and I think when you want to change you, and when you get into stress levels, you go back to the way you were. When you have to change, you continue to move. And I think for us, you know, whether we enjoyed the last year that article was a catalyst for us to change. Right. Um, and we wanted to, and we had to. Okay. You mentioned uh, your mission statement. And actually, maybe we could dig into that because if I'm you know, being honest, yeah. in my own personal experience, I'm not 100% clear on how important or yeah. the value of having a mission statement for a company mm-hmm. is. And so, you know, you kind of mentioned, you know, the mission statement kind of drives the culture, but could you go a little bit more deeper into that? Like, I personally can't remember the mission statement for a lot of the companies that I've been a part of. Mm-hmm. A lot of people talk about how important it is. And so just to delve a little bit deeper on yeah. that, awesome. You know, I think if you don't have a, it's, it's really your North Star and it, it's kind of your guiding principle. If we don't have a mission, then why do we exist? So your mission is kind of your purpose. And if I don't have a purpose, then I'm not going to be focused on the policies and the processes that I need to achieve that. Now, I don't think that, I think that missions can change over time, but I think it is, it is the thing that is the singular thing that focuses everyone to the end result, right? So I think they're super important because I have to, so if I don't believe, if I don't buy into player focused then I can add value to this company. And so it is my calling card. And if I can't connect with the purpose of a company, then how can I be successful? And there are company missions that I don't connect with that I would never apply to, to, to be there. But I do think it's critically important because it is the, it's the one statement that says why we're here 
and what we're here to do. I do think they're overused, but we try to stay back to it and then we reinforce it here so that people know, you may not know everything that's behind that, but you will know this is what we're here to do. And so I think they're critically important. And I think you should, when, as you look for work or look for jobs, you should, that's the first thing I look at. Like, what is that mission of that company? And then what are the values of that company? And can I, do I support those values? And then I talk to a lot of people about, is that really true? Do we really, is that really the value? Of, are these, do we hold true to these values that we espouse to? So I know they feel like words, but if a company is using them well and it is really focusing people, I think it's a really, it's a way to rally your employees to achieve your purpose. Okay, got it. And so my final question before handing it over to Mishka is actually about strong versus weak culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in my own experience, there's, there's often talk about strong or weak culture at different companies, but mm-hmm. at least in my experience, it's not, it hasn't really been defined. And yeah. not to go too far off topic here, but you know, I'm a football fan. And mm-hmm. one of the things said about the New England Patriots is that they have a strong culture. Yeah. Based on that culture, there are some NFL players with personalities that yep won't allow them to succeed at some organizations, but due to the strong culture of the Patriots, potentially be successful there. And so from your perspective, can you talk to me about what you think makes for a strong culture at different organizations? And, you know, what does that mean and how can it help uh, a gaming company? Oh, JK, we were all bonded to you said you were Patriots fans. I'm a Chicago Bears fan. I think I'm a fan. We were so here. So good thing I know football. I think the Patriots have strong leaders. Okay. And their leaders define the coach. So if you ever, I, I just saw Bill on a press conference and they were asking about Antonio Brown and he was like not going there. Like he's just a strong leader. And he has things in place that when you go there, you know what to expect from that organization. And so he's built that culture. And I remember I talked about earlier about you can decide what that culture is. And he has done that. He has done that masterfully. And it is why they continue to win. I don't see culture as binary, as weak or strong. Culture is what culture is. But it's not, you can't have a a strong culture if you don't have a strong leader that is driving that and holding people accountable for their actions and their behavior. So You know, I think he also is a smart strategist about how he goes about, I say that not being a Patriots fan, I'm a Chicago fan, but I do recognize strong leadership. Let me say that. And so you, I would know when I went to the Patriots, no nonsense, no nonsense. I'm going to be about the, about playing and being good at my craft because I know what to expect. And so that's the other thing about having a culture with strong leadership. You know what to expect. And so I know I can't go there. No, but I would, I would use a different um, strong culture. And I would say Phil Jackson of the Chicago Bulls. But how he had a mission. But the other thing that happened with that team is that they all were focused on winning championships. So even in that culture, you, when I talked about mission, they were all rallied around winning this championship. Now, I was, I was in Chicago at the time where we won those six championships. Yeah, yeah, Chicago Bulls. And I would say, I could not imagine Michael Jordan and Dennis Rodman being friends outside of work, right? But they all had a role to play for the success of the Chicago Bulls. 
And so it wasn't even about if there's tight friendships. It was about the strong leadership and how Phil Jackson was had the ability to, to, to create a triangle offense so that Michael Jordan had to pass the ball or Dennis Rodman as you know, flamboyant as you might thought he was, he was the best rebounder. He just let him rebound. He didn't try to change him. He just used those skills to meet that mission, right? So I think that leaders define that culture. And Bill has done a fantastic job of doing that, even though he's with the Patriots. I would like to be, I'd like to be with the Bears, but you know, <laughs> another time. <laughs> Great. Mishka? Oh, all right. This was this is fascinating to listen. I'm kind of like I'm I'm excited to get to my part of it, but I was kind of just enjoying the talk and until you got to the uh, the basketball. I, and the, oh, darn I, it! <laughs> if you would have talked about hockey, you know, like Blackhawks, I would have been well, all. We over did. The place. We, we also won a championship. You can tell I'm from Chicago. Like we also won a championship <laughs> for the Blackhawks as well, as well as yeah. the Cubs. So and the yeah. Sox. So you know. <laughs> Was but, um, Chicago has a strong culture. Maybe. Oh yeah, yeah, culture. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to I want to dive deep more into into the context around Riot and the culture mm-hmm. there. So many people, of course, know a lot about mm-hmm. Riot and, of course, about League of Legends. And you know, the company and the game have a lot of incredible passion and devotion from its players and employees. So it was, I, I think, it was honest to say that it was surprising pretty much for everybody when the Kotaku mm-hmm. article inside the culture of sexism at Riot Games by Cecilia D'Anastasio came out, and that kind of kicked off the firestorm and the controversy for the company, as well as the uh, the, the 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 post that, that you mentioned where the company apologized from from, from pretty much from its employees as well as its players. Mm-hmm. So presumably, you Angela were brought in to help improve things at Riot since the Kotaku article and. We thought about reaching out for to, out to you when we saw the uh, Riot blog post about your reflections, the uh, the one year later, and all of those articles will be linked uh, in this in this podcast. So, to be quite honest, we were super impressed in in that the post showed a very thoughtful and structured approach to the process that you took in in such a such a monumental task. Mm-hmm. So let's so let's talk about this task. And can you take us sort of back to the day one <laughs> when you got the call and you mentioned you got the call from, from Riot and the call was whether you would be interesting to join Riot. And then mm-hmm. I want to kind of hear like, what was that like? And take us through the, uh, the decision to join the company, how you came up with the plan and how things are over there right now. So when I first got the call, it was who? Um, because I'm not, um, I don't play league. And, um, so I'm, I'm more of a board games person. So it was, who is this? And what are they, what is what's happening? (laughs) Then I started to read the blog post and I started to read the Kotaku article. And my initial response, just to be quite honest, was no. I was at a place that I loved. I was at a place where we were making traction and and I bought a new team. And then Francis Fry, who's a good friend of mine, called and said, I just want you to talk with him. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And it was a a free trip to LA. So, you know, I could do that. I was in San Fran at the time. And then I got to talk to the leaders and very candid discussions about what they learned, who they were, and what they, what they thought, why were they surprised? Because there was a lot of surprise that, you know, I think the Kotaku article raised a lot of, we just 
didn't know. We, we always wanted to be this great company. And it was a lot of hurt, I think, when I talked to leaders. And so being able to talk with them and, and decide if they're ready, because this could either have been, and I said this in the, in the blog, this could have been a catalyst to just change an industry and be a game changer, or it could have been a PR check the box. And I had to really decide which one, where Riot was going to be. And so when they talked to me about being a cautionary tale for the industry and being a leader in the industry and being able to learn from what's happening. And when I heard the story of how Riot grew, I became intrigued, knowing that there was still some issues, knowing that there were still some, there was such hurt among rioters. But the heart of Riot that was great is that people fought to stay. So you could have had like an onslaught of people just like, screw this, I'm out. But people loved Riot. And they were passionate about making this a better place. And even when I came, I still felt that. But I still felt the pain of not only leaders, I felt the pain of rioters and the distrust between the two. Like, people felt let down. And so I wanted to be part of the comeback. I wanted to be part of the story moving forward. If there was any way I could help, I really wanted to. And so it wasn't it was still hard to leave where I was. And I think I kind of even turned the job down. But when I talked to rioters and I saw on their faces that they really wanted this to be a good company, that they felt let down, I wanted to be part of the comeback. And so that was my decision um, mm. to pack up and, and, and to come to Riot. What I learned in that space, and I said this a little bit earlier, and is that when you are building something new, and when I talked to the founders, they wanted to build the best game for players. That was their focus. And they wanted people who wanted the same thing. That goes back to mission. And so what, we've, what we have brought in were people who all are incredibly focused on player experience. And even though we were going through some, you know, we had some growing up and some growing pains, the mission and the purpose still stayed the same. It was why people raised their hand to, to, to talk about this because they wanted Riot to be better, not that they want to take Riot out. Mm. So when you start from that point, you can build. So I didn't have to sell why we should change. I didn't have to, there was a lot of work going on from day one that I got to talk about, but that was happening right after Kotaku article hit. Um, there was a team that put together, they did incredible work over that past year. And so I got to be, to come in and help manage it and talk about it, but the rioters really stepped up and the rioters really wanted to see change. And so that was great to see. And what I wanted to find out would leaders stand in the way of that. And the answer then and the answer now is no. Hmm. Yeah. And and you've been, I mean, just reading through this article and then kind of seeing what what's been happening it's it's been a lot. So you joined the company in, in midst of like changing leadership. There's rapid yeah. growth. There's organizational shifts, and you come in on a public stage. I mean, this is one of the most interesting companies, gaming companies out there, and one of the yeah. most successful. And and you know a lot of things have happened. You brought in the experts. You expanded the leadership team. Mm-hmm. You facilitated different external partnerships with, with yeah. different foundations. Increased the uh, the the diversity into people, process, and systems, mm-hmm. you evolved the culture and kind of like one of, one of the key questions, I mean, I have a, I have a list of questions, of okay. course, but, uh, but, but um, one of, one of the, uh, one of the, the kind of like most important question for, for all of us uh, who kind of were reading this is 
would these kind of big changes, these kind of rapid changes, would they be happening without the PR? Like, do companies need to have, you know, kind of, you know, do wrong before before they see the uh, the signs, or or is this um, is this avoidable in a sense? I think it's avoidable if it's deliberate. What I love about new companies coming up, and 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 I'm I'm talking to VCs um, in the next couple of I think months. The first thing you should do is talk about the type of company you want to be. And you can be very deliberate in kind of who you bring in, not just friends, but just people who will give you a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And so when most companies that are startups, they start up with people they know, people they're comfortable with, you can deliberately say, I need a different perspective. And you could, and, and you could deliberately say, okay, I, I'm, I'm comfortable here. Let me be a little bit uncomfortable. Will companies do it if not pushed? That's a great question. I do think, you know, for Ride, it was, we already had a diversity effort. This was a catalyst to, to step it up. And again, you know, when you're a practitioner like I am, you want that way to be able to make change quickly. And so, you know, Riot needed to and had to make some changes and, 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 mm. and we did. Yeah. There are other companies that say they want to do this. And when you have to change behaviors, um, when you have to change systems, they go to only to a certain point. And so it has always been my hope that people see the value. You can see diversity as either a barrier or an opportunity to, to do things greatly. You know, so I see diversity as an opportunity for business, as an opportunity for talent. Or you can see diversity as something that I have to get over or I have to manage. And mm. that's and and people, what I know about humans is that they like to be comfortable. So, and this is an uncomfortable topic and it's yeah. not a, it's not a task thing that if I do this, it's not a check the box. It's really about how do you embed this into everything you do? And so Riot was ready to do. So when I, when I came, it was really about how does diversity or how does inclusion or how does belonging impact business? How does mm-hmm. it impact your process? I should be at the, the reason why I'm busy is that every decision that's made at this company um, has a diversity lens to it from who we hire to our champions to everything. And so, and it's one where I don't own everything, but I have influence. I should have influence on a broad spectrum of things. So I do think that companies at the heart of them, if they do it, if they do it just because it's the right thing to do, which I think we all agree, but it's not a business case for doing it. I think it starts to get lost. So mm-hmm. do I think that I can't speak for would riot deliberately well with riot had, done this if they didn't get the Kotaku. I do think that that article was a catalyst for change and maybe what we needed at the time. So, um, so let's talk about the, uh, the, the change and how to drive it. I mean, Riot has 2,500 people around the world. So it's not a, you know, it's a small company, but as a game company, it's gigantic. Mm -hmm. um, Changing company culture seems to be extremely difficult, (laughs) even in a much smaller company. Mm -hmm. So, because it's so, embedded deep within within everything that we do. So in the article, you showed that Riot had this transparent 30, 60, 90 yeah. day commitments mm-hmm. and, and, and created, you know, very clear milestones and transparent milestones. So my question is, is that the best way to move forward? And if it is, uh, please, please do tell us why. And, and kind of <laughs> like, like how, how do we, my question is like, how do you change culture? That's really the question. Oh, you know, I think the 30, 60, 90 day commitment was mm-hmm. a way that were tactically, we can kind of measure progress. I do think what gets measured gets done. That is a philosophy that I have. 
that to me, putting those initiatives in place, that's the not the hardest part of this job. It, you know, because I'm, I think what we're good at, or what I, what I, what I love to do, is to put the structures in place to support where we're going. And so I am structured in that way. The hardest part that what really made me extremely nervous, two things: one, coming to Riot, I'm not, I don't play league, and I'm not a what you define as a traditional gamer. How would I be ex- accepted into the culture? How would I have credibility? Who do I, like, would people say, oh, why is she here? Would people say she's just here because of this? So that was really made me a little bit nervous about how I would enter to to the company. So it comes back to me, again, listening to, even though we we listened to 1,700 riders, the first thing I did was meet with a lot of riders. Um, And I would bring them together and they would, I would say, what do we need to do differently? So actually our strategy was built by rioters you can't create that in a vacuum and, and think that you're going to change. If I were to go into this vacuum and create, we could do these three things, but it didn't re- relate or respond to what our riders needed, then it wouldn't have felt authentic or organic for, for them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it is that the reason why we're so transparent, which I will say, and Joe, who's with me here as our head of uh, PR, will say like, we're probably more transparent than any company I've ever um, been the other thing that made me nervous here was that we were broken. I mean, you could see it. You could see it. And it was heartbreaking to see rioters who love this company get deflated. And I was very purposeful to how do we bring the bring everybody back together? Because that is what was broken. And how, you know, when you go through something like what we're going through you can have, it could be very divisive. And so my biggest focus was, I didn't want us to be that. Um, I didn't want us to be mean to each other. I, you know, we have this mm-hmm. thing called treat everybody with grace and dignity. And I, as, once I said it, behavior changed. Mm. Once I said, we, I, we can disagree without being disagreeable. We must treat people with dignity and grace. And so even in our Slack channel, you have people going in there going, treat people with dignity and grace. Cause that's what it comes down to. It comes down to kindness. You want to change mm. your culture? Be kind, be human, be vulnerable, and yeah. hear people, not just listen, but hear. And so I got a chance to hear the pain and be able to be on a leadership team where I could, even though they may not have felt it the same way, I could be the person that could like, we're in pain and we all have to change how we are acting, particularly at a leadership level. You now have to model, you have to connect with people. They have to know you. We have to rebuild trust. And that was the hardest part. How do we rebuild trust? And we're, look, we're still a work in progress. We still, we cannot take our foot off the gas, not for one second. We cannot get comfortable with any progress we've made, not for one second. Because it has to consistently be deliberate all the time. It's the beauty of, I think, um, the advantage of having this role sit on an executive team because I can constantly remind us Mm. of what we need to do. And we need, and we have, I think we have a great solid plan and we test that plan. Do you see a difference? How are you feeling? Is going back to rioters. How are you feeling? I spent a lot of time with our, our young women talking to them about, you know, we had, I think we had the walkout in May um, and that was like month two for me. And I had to decide would I go or not. And I absolutely would go because I have daughters and I was actually quite impressed with the courage to have voice and 
and I got to hear things and I got to hear experiences. And as a result, we changed our code of conduct. So we, we changed our romantic dating policy. And that was an immediate impact that people felt that people felt a little bit safe, a little bit more secure, a little bit like we are changing. So you have to show the visible change. I think the second was people don't leave companies, they leave managers. And so are our managers equipped to, to lead teams? And we focus on making sure that they have capability. We're putting together a performance management to hold them accountable for it. So there's an accountability point that you have to have when you're changing culture as well. Like what are we accountable to do and how are we holding people to that, holding, holding them accountable for their behaviors, not just their knowledge. Mm. So, so you mentioned a lot about talking to to a lot of rioters, and you know, Slack as as a as a great tool. Because yeah. because one of the things that that I think is is you know, I think culture is also baked into the vocabulary that yes. the uh, the people use and the company uses. Yes. Did you look a lot at, to to languages, the word choices, and such at all? And did you see this change happening in the way you know in the words people use? Yes. So it's interesting. We are a creative company and we're pretty loose in, uh, but I, I'll keep in mind, let me, let me, let me qualify this. I came from mm-hmm. finance where we did not mm-hmm. curse at work. Like you just don't say, you don't throw up curse words in finance. You just don't do it. And you come to tech where everybody's like cursing and like, and so it's like, oh, so it was very, it was very daunting at first, but we also were loose in our language about different things that, you know, if you were coming into a company that you would say, wow, this is how we speak. And I had, the the challenge was how do, I don't want to be the language police. Like I don't, but but I do want us to be cognizant that what I might say to you, Misko, or you, JK, may not be offensive, but what I might say to Joe might, you know, I can say the same thing to Joe. Mm -hmm. And because of how Joe is oriented, it might not feel good. So how do I regulate language in a way that we're being respectful? And that's why we said dignity and grace. So I am used to certain words, maybe others are not. And now we've tried to think about the language, that be very purposeful about the language and making sure that we know who, who we are speaking with and that we are speaking about. And that's still a kind of thing that I have to think through because again, you don't want to be the language police, but I don't want my creativity stifled because I'm hearing words that might feel like, a, like that might stifle my creativity, but might fuel somebody else's. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's still the balance. And mm-hmm. I'm, and writers are helping me figure that out. And, and the other thing I think that is, that is probably advantageous for me is I'm probably one of the oldest people in the company. So if I say stop that language, people are like, okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I have to kind of check myself too, because you know, I may be a bit old fashioned. And so I, it is this whole thing of language, but there are certain things that I've said, we need to stay away from these things, but I've also given people permission. I think we do this well. If something's offensive, we ask you to raise your hand because sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And so we got to get comfortable saying, we got to give people permission. Yeah. We have to give people, we have to be able to say, we're going to make mistakes along the way. And so if I make a mistake and I have a misstep, if, I, if you attack me right away, it makes me withdraw inward. So we have to say, we're going to make mistakes, but we have to be able to check the language. Um, and it's really hard because for, again, what's offensive to some people may not be offensive to others, hmm. but it's always being aware of who, who, who's in your surroundings and making sure you, you, are, you are responsible 
as the communicator to make sure that people around you are comfortable. And that's what we're trying to drive. Mm, mm. That's, that's really interesting. So, um, Let's take a let's take a step back a step back or a step forward and, and kind of look at the uh, the impact on the business side because after all mm-hmm. most of our listeners are are very interested in the business and and actually culture is integral part of performance of the company. Yeah. So my question is more on are the new values are they helping to drive growth because after all League of Legends is is heavily male driven game mm-hmm. and this diversity and inclusion project is is it also broadening the player target group to include more women or is that being embraced in possibly the new project that are possibly on mobile or anything? Ah! <laughs> um, so here's what I will say. Um, <laughs> players want to see their stories reflect them. So in our champions, we should be reflecting the stories of our players. As we become more diverse internally and people are telling their stories or having that perspective. So I start with the basis of talent. If I have the best talent and that talent is um, has ethnic diversity, gender diversity, left-handed people, introverted folks, then I can see that that will broaden my ability to tell the stories. And it will broaden the ability to, to, to have characters that are champions that are feel real for people. The biggest thing that I would, you know, the biggest example of that is when, you know, Black Panther came out, mm-hmm. one of the highest grosses. And I got to see people who look like me do incredible things. And so I'm really, really hoping that Black Panther 2 does the same thing. So I think that same concept here, that you will increase your your player base when people see, first of all, the games that are geared toward, you know, my orientation and how I play different games. And I think that's what gaming companies are trying to expand the games. I can tell you TFT, you know, early indication um, is that, well, we just launched uh, Team Fight Tactics, and mm-hmm. it's a broader it's a broader base, and we're reaping the um, benefits of having a broader player base um, on TFT. So, um, and that is a very diverse group of people who came up with that concept. And so, the power of diversity is having those perspectives at the table, and having people be reflective, having the game be reflective of the players. And I think we're with our diversity, and the more people that we are able to bring in. I think that that will increase. Here's the issue, I think, is that we typically, we have to broaden our net to bring in more talent that looks different. And so traditionally, if you go to a gaming company, certain people apply. We have to, as a company, do more outreach. So you see Girls Who Code, for us, is about how do we build the future workforce? Even if that's like a 10-year investment, I want more women coding. I want more women in art. I want more women so that those stories can be reflected. So being part of the talent acquisition and leading that function, I get to influence that. Um, So we have to go out and do outreach to female gamers. And we have to go out and, and just women in general. We have to go out and look at different communities. And so those are the things that we have to do to make the game better and to be, and then to hit our mission of being player focused. So mm. We're doing things to teach people the, to, to teach people league and teach people the game. So I'm still learning too, and I'm left-handed. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're better than me. I, I, I've given up. I've given up Don't too many up. times. Come back. <laughs> Come back. So uh, I have a I have a final question regarding Riot, and not okay. even regarding regarding Riot, but regarding this process of changing culture inside Riot. Yep. And that was interviewing rioters. 
for the new values that actually have left the company. So as many listeners are, are probably going through and, you know, with their pen and paper, uh, making notes of what they, what they should be, you know, thinking about when, when improving their culture, they're probably also thinking about, should they be talking to people who have left? Mm -hmm. So what is your opinion on that? I think a little bit of both. So we do exit interviews for all mm -hmm. writers who leave and they have been, they're very vocal about why they're leaving. And we have specific questions around kind of culture and diversity in that. And so we get to hear that. But I also think it's important for us to talk to people who are staying and to see how we make that experience better for them. So, you know, we, you know, we look at the exit interviews and I think that's really critical. But I have to say, I focus more on how do I retain people and what will get people to stay. And our strategy was really built on, and I, there was a question I asked that was specific about what is the one thing we can do to retain you? And so that we could really come up with action and plans that would enable us and operationalize what I heard. And so it is about career development. It's about where, you know, the career trajectory. And so I want to make sure that we are asking those specific questions about culture, about career, about all those things. So our goal, again, is to be, you know, not only player folks, but we could also have the, you know, just people have a great experience here. And, you know, we're still in the midst of that. Um, it's something that is never done. Like we will always have to adjust. We'll always have to keep listening. We'll always have to keep learning. We'll always have to keep adjusting. It's not a, it's, it's very dynamic in its nature. And so I would say to companies, stay close to your, your surveys, ask your people, they will tell you what they need from you. If you ask them and you made it safe and then they have to, you know, it's one thing to talk about what you're, who you think you are, but they have to see who you are. You have to mirror those behaviors because if you do, it trickles down. Mm. Mm. So, um, yeah, I 100% agree. I, that's, that's, but so I have uh, two more questions that I actually okay. have a lot of questions. I, we have so many questions. Which, okay. you know, <laughs> we can, we can like, have something, we can have another one, like take two, but JK cannot talk about um, the Patriots. <laughs> yeah, don't talk about Patriots. <laughs> you must be more inclusive. <laughs> yeah let's talk about hockey a little bit more yeah, that would be exactly you know, up here sitting up north we don't have football or basketball or anything like that. <laughs> so um so i wanted to i wanted to kind of like zoom out into a tech overall and you have your previous with dropbox as well mm -hmm. as with other industries mm -hmm. and tech overall has this broke culture that's mm -hmm. that's kind of like the broader tech mm -hmm. and we all know, and, and we've discussed, the gaming could be a lot more diverse. Yes. So in, in, in your experience, why is, why is it so that we have this sort of a bro culture? Oh, okay, so I'm going to go back to something I said earlier. Mm -hmm. in, tech in tech, and which is similar to like a new industry, tech had the opportunity to be diverse from the, from the jump. They, you, know, you could have been very deliberate if they were thinking about it. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't a thought. What it was, are, what it was, I think, and in, in my two interactions with with these companies, is that you had very brilliant innovators making focus on making something great, and they had their friends, which looked like them, right? So, and they started to hire their friends that looked like them, and and so, and in their mind, wow, we all are building this thing in innovation. We have a great place. But we have a great place to work as they have defined it. 
like what is great for me may be different what's great for everybody else. So then you start to have dissenting views, right? And when you get into a group and then you have one person saying, let's do something different, that person tends to get drowned out. So what I think what text what 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 started this kind of whole bro culture is this comfortability with being around people you know and really trying to make something to really in your to also think about this is great because it is my lens of what great is. And we didn't expand, you don't expand what great is as you start to grow and scale. So then you start to grow really rapidly. And you're you first you know the, the 10 people who work with you, then you know the 50 people. But at some point, if you are a really high-performing startup, you're gonna scale and grow. And at some point you need some processes to make sure that you're equitable. And so at what point do you think about that? And so I think with Riot, we thought about it. We now had to scale it, and now we are very deliberate about it. So if you're not deliberate about how you grow your company and your comp- and you're focused on the innovation of the thing that you're building, and you're learning to be a CEO and you learn to be a leader, it's always good to have someone. I would tell have someone who like, get an HR person right away, because that'll start to even if you don't need the process, you need the thinking. Try to get disruptors in your group, someone who's going to keep you honest and keep you accountable. And keep that lens on what type of company and, and co- what type of company we want to be and how do we redefine. When we start to grow, what do we need to be doing around that? And so mm-hmm. at, at each juncture, you're going to have to take a step back and say, what is the next phase of this company? Who do we need? Who are our stakeholders? But I think it's it's around just people being comfortable around people like them. And they they were this, I can imagine, I can tell you in a company, the two companies I were in, they were in their, there was one apartment that they were all in building this thing. And so they got close. And so when they started to build the company, we started to say, oh, we should have free food and we should have all these things that we wish we had and we went to a company. Mm-hmm. But we didn't think about what type of culture we were trying to drive. We didn't, you, know, you don't think about those things until, you know, you grow and scale and then you have to then invite a different perspective in. And I don't think people are good at inviting a different perspective in because then you've got this really successful thing. So who am I to tell you you should be different? And so I think you have to be very deliberate about who you're bringing in, making sure you have a, like a, a person that is a healthy disruptor, no, no pun intended, that is always going to challenge how you move and put process in place when you need it, because you don't often think about those things. Awesome. Well, uh, so, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's probably time we start bringing this home. We've been, we've been taking your time forever. And I'm looking at the time. I want to ask still a couple of more questions and leave enough time for JK to to give his final words. Okay. But, you know, as mentioned before, the Kotaku article was the catalyst for Riot to take the needed action and invest significantly into diversity and inclusion. And at Riot, you know, it seems like things have improved a lot and a lot has been made. And there's clearly been, you know, dedicated focus and investment with you as well as with the hiring of new chief people officer. Mm -hmm. So I have two final questions. I promise these are the two last ones. (laughs) So, so questions for companies who want to do better. What are the sort of a real tangible steps that the leadership can take to improve the work culture and to create better people, you know, employee environment? You know, I think it's, 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 when we started this, you know, at least when I, when I came to Riot, we talked about values a lot. And the one thing that I, I said is, okay, what is the culture? And let's, let's put on paper what the culture, I think people, you don't have a culture statement in most companies. It's more, this is our culture. 
And so I think being deliberate about the culture, whether you're there or not, get in a room. I got in a room with leaders and I'm like, if you were to describe the, you know, we, I asked a lot of questions, describe the, the culture you want to be. And I wrote it down. Because once I write it down and once I start to say, is this it, is this it? And I, and I would also listen for key words that they would talk about. Well, we want race and dignity was one. We want to have fun, like that was another. And how do I say, this is this it? Once I can see what that culture is, then you can start to say, do the values connect to that? What do we need to do to ensure, so to ensure that everyone understands this, buys into this and is acting accordingly to do this? And so I would say, first thing, write down your culture statement. Whether you're there or not, let it be aspirational. And then you can say, well, we're not this yet. What do we need to get there? We're, we don't have a lot of diversity. What do we need to do to do that? Are we treating people respectfully? What do we need to do to do that? And so that really kind of helped me understand the values and how the values fit into the culture. We started with the values and I went back and said, okay, what is the culture? And then it's reinforcing the culture. Is reinforcing the behaviors that need to aspire to that culture. And we're still in the midst of that. So we're not in the, in the complete cycle. So now we're thinking about how do we talk about our culture? How do we embody the culture? Who do we recognize if they're doing things that are, if they're living the values? How do we make the values live? So I would say that would be one. Mm. I would also say be humble and listen. I think when we hear negative things about ourselves, we want to be defensive right away. But I think you have to be open to the fact that my experience might be different for me, right? So you might think this is great, but my experience is not. And so mm -hmm. I have to be open to listening to, wow, that's a different experience and be curious about how you fix it. It is not a check the box. I, 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 hit, I always... I don't like to always go to these five things we're going to do. And this is a check the box. They have to live um, because writers will feel that if we're just doing a check of the box exercise and we're just doing it to do it without understanding the impact. That was the other thing I would say, know the impact of every action. So even in our 30, 60, 90 day, each of them had an impact. Our slate diversity, the impact of that is that we have more women interviewing for leader roles and we're mm -hmm. measuring that. And so you have to also have to put accountability and measures in place to just level set. I also use our associate survey, our employee survey, sorry, our employee survey to, to challenge me. And if I, I read every line and if I don't know, so if someone says that, you know, like we're not committed, I will get a group together and say, what does commitment look like to you? And what do you need to see for us to move? And that's how I build the, the plan and the strategy. And I would say, be very, your people will tell you if they're like rioters, they will tell you what they're feeling and what they need. But I also think there's a, the last thing I would say is you must be authentic. Hmm. People will, uh, authentic leadership is the one secret weapon that you have because if you're not authentic, people, they know it. And so I don't talk unless I can authentically say what I said. I know that I may be done in a company. If I can't tell someone it's okay to come here, that I, I, can't, I can't be good at my job. And so you have to be real and you have to be authentic. If you don't mean it, don't do it. All right. So list of list of six that I got here is, okay. you know, that anybody should follow the next day as they listen to this is, is write down the culture statement, reinforce the, uh, the desired behavior, be humble and listen, be curious how to fix problems, be ready to be challenged, and most importantly, be authentic. 
Would that oh, be a good you, list to can follow? You send that to me. I just I'm like, send that. I'm gonna I'm gonna write that down myself. That's I, I've been I've been writing notes all the, all day here. This is this is golden. I'm gonna listen to this podcast like several times. So um, so before I let J.K. you know uh, wrap this up and and t- take his final word, I, I want to kind of like get both of you and and agree on certain definition and that definition is a gamer uh, and and what i like to be for us is to be a little bit more inclusive because mm-hmm. for example i will use myself as an example i play only mobile games mm-hmm. and some of my peers don't consider myself as a gamer <laughs> in fact the majority of the players who play mobile game who play games actually in the world are first mobile gamers and secondly female that's just mm-hmm. a fact mm-hmm. so shouldn't gamer mean anyone who plays games more than once a week just asking you my peers i say yes i say that it it could be multiple games like we talk about board games i mean we talk about all games for us it's important to have player empathy so Mm -hmm. being you know having some experience in you know or passion around games really allows you to connect with our players but it doesn't have to be a league game it could be you know anyone who's playing games Mm-hmm. Um, and we had this really big debate when I first started about does board games count? And I'm like, yes, it counts. Of course it counts because a lot of games are strategy. And so, you know, it teaches you strategy. Now, the other thing that's interesting, and again, I tell you that I'm a little bit older. I just, I did not, I, I kind of told my kids not to play games, which now I'm at Ryan, like, oh, go, go play games. Because, you know, now playing games, I see the strategy in it. Like I see, the, so I do think we expand the, the definition of gamer uh, to be more inclusive. And so we actually have done that here at, at Riot. So we have opened up and said, you know, first we had it where you had to be kind of this kind of core gamer. Now, some parts of our business doesn't require you to play games, but it requires you to be a, con- a content expert or an SME but we want to know that you love that you love you love games that you know this is because it's part of our mission and so we have kind of said we don't as part of our interview process we you know leaders don't ask what type of games do you play for instance and that's a change that we've made if it's something that's core to your 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 craft then it's still not what games you play it's making you play in empathy so we have questions around what people can and cannot ask so that we can expand that that definite that we have expanded that very definition yeah, I remember there was a there was a time when Riot actually asked for your league level, like yeah. level. Of, <laughs> yeah. I really, really do remember that. <laughs> we don't so, do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. might have been might have been a reason why I never even looked at. <laughs> But anyway, we don't do that. Come over. <laughs> no. Anyways, over over to JK. So, hey Angela, thanks so much for all of your time. But just in wrapping up, I remember at the beginning of the podcast you had mentioned a book, and just for those in our audience who are more interested in this topic of culture and diversity, are there any resources that you would re- recommend to help get better depth in this area? There's so many books that I would recommend. Maybe there a top is. Three? There, my top three was a book called The Difference, and there's a, an old book that I used when I first got into this. It was um, by Roosevelt Thomas, who's since passed away, and it was about it was the story of giraffes and elephants, and it was like a fable tale about how we connect with each other. So that was a way. That's another book that I've read, and. 
those are all I can think of right now. But there's a book that's not so about diversity. It's about neuroscience. Okay. Oh, Blind Spots. So Blind Spots is another one because it really was a wake-up call about how our brains work and how our brains process things and how we think we know things that we don't really know. So for people who are really about, who who think about diversity intellectually, that was a really good book for me to read. Got it. And so final question was, you know, Mishki and I, as, as he mentioned earlier, were really impressed by your Reflections blog post. And so mm-hmm. just wondering, can we expect to see more updates in terms of Reflections and, and sort of updates in terms of what's happening at Riot from you on, on the Riot blog? Uh, no, I talked about this earlier with Mishka about like being transparent. So yes, I mean, I think we... It, the, the good news about when you're transparent, you have to do it. Like So you, you once you put it in right, like you have to drive to it. And so, yes, I think we will continue to do that. Like, again, we're still a work in progress. You know, we're still trying to find our rhythm. We still are going back to rioters. You know, my biggest goal here is to just, you know, I have this hashtag that I'm trying to launch that says together we are riot to just bring us back to fun and, and, and games. And, but also making sure that we're very serious about, that we don't go backwards, right? That we're serious about, you know, our investigation process, that we have process in place that allows us never to have to be here again. And um, not to say that we'll be perfect than we would, but I, I said this in my blog post, every day we commit to be better. Every day we commit to learning. And I just look forward to seeing rioters do their best work here and stay with us. So yes, you will see okay. more. All that to say, yes, you will see more. <laughs> right. So to close this out, just want to give a final shout out to Paul Beleza, top ambassador ah. extraordinaire, and from a deconstructor of fun perspective, our favorite writer. And also, if, if you're oh, a geek, first yeah. of all, JK, now oh. you first the papers. Now I'm not your favorite writer. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, what? Okay, go, go there will be no number two podcast with you guys. Let me say that. <laughs> That's JK's personal opinion. I mean. <laughs> but if you are a geek. PM in LA, I definitely think you should try to befriend Paul, who organizes fantastic LA taco tours. And Angela, you should jump on one of one of his tours. There, there. I am going to. He's actually my neighbor. He's actually my neighbor, so I will definitely do that. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much, Angela. Thank this you. Is thank you, Angela. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Take care. Bye. All right, folks, that was, a, that was a powerful episode, and thank you so much for, for Angela and JK and Joe from Riot for setting this up. Um, if you liked this episode, uh, if, you, if you liked it, uh, please, do, please do rate us. Um, put in some stars. We appreciate those a lot. Um, they help with the discovery of the podcast. And please do subscribe, no matter what podcast. Now, no matter where you get your podcast from, um, just subscribe to Deconstruct for Fun. Search it, find it, subscribe. We'll be coming up with more content like this and um, getting deeper into, into interesting topics in games business. And not to forget This Week in Games, where we analyze the latest in news and give our take and, and you know a little deeper insight in, in the news um, circulating. So, Without further ado, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you later. Bye.